The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of the owner, staff, or management of this radio station. Let's go, girls. From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up with Beck and Franklin is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they've always dreamed of. Why live in black and white when you can choose the brilliance of 3D and Technicolor? Each week, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin and their high-powered guests will be here to cheer you on, to share their challenges, their successes, and what they've learned along the way. It's all about women supporting women. The stories and practical tips on sex, beauty, money, and so much more are designed to help you reconnect to the powerful woman you are. Fabulous knows no limits. Now it's time for you to expand your boundaries. Here are Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and from coast to coast, we've got you covered on Powered Up Talk Radio. Linda, we have such a tough topic today, but I'm so happy that you're here with me to talk about it, because I really, truly believe that we can be empowered as women, empowered as families, as caregivers, uh, when we talk about difficult topics like death. And today, we're going to have Rosemary Collins from Buffalo Hospice on. They were the hospice facility that cared for my mom in her final stages, and I have to tell you, Linda, I had no idea how much hospice does for a family until I experienced it. Have you had an experience with hospice? No. Uh, actually, uh, my mom didn't, uh, I mean, my mom just died of old age, actually. I mean, she was 98 and a half, and she was really um, in really, really good shape uh, up until the last six months of her life, and we, um, I had, you know, I, my mom was in Toronto, and I was in New York, so I had 24-7 uh, women in the, in the, our home in Toronto taking care of her, so she did not have to uh, go to hospice, but um, the last I guess was week of her life, she did go to hospital, and that's where she passed on. Wow, wow. You know, it's it's one of those things that I've noticed. Like, I had a few friends in my 20s and 30s who lost a parent or lost a spouse or a friend, like my friend Tammy Barillary passed away from breast cancer when she was only in her early 30s. And so, um, you know, today's show goes out to all the women and men who have struggled with cancer and then have used the hospice services. I mean, I guess any illness, you can have the hospice service. But um, when you get in your 40s, 50s, and 60s, you get a lot more friends and family passing away or parents, their parents passing away. In fact, this month I've had two of my girlfriends lose their mothers, uh, one from lung cancer, one from breast cancer. And this was not something I experienced when I was younger. Did you find the same thing as you got older? Um. Uh, when I'm trying to think, when I was when I was young, a young girl, I know that I had an aunt that passed away from breast cancer, uh, but that was about it. No, of course, as you get older, they're getting older, and as you get older, you're much more susceptible to to the to disease. You know, diseases of aging. You know, cancer, whole bunch of stuff. But um, 
and it was never obviously it's never a a a uh, it, it's not a really talked about topic because nobody wants to think about it it's like writing a will nobody wants to do it because you don't like to think of your own mortality but there's so many things that go you know that that happen as your parents age that have to be taken care of um and so many don't take care of it because their parents don't cooperate with with that, and that's everything from signing over powers of attorneys, knowing their affairs. Um, I mean, I, I mean, it, it didn't. I I got lucky. I mean, we, we I squeaked by just with the powers of attorney um, and getting um, a power of of medical surrogate, I guess is what you call it or whatever. Um, probably six months before my dad uh, got sick, and he got sick before my mom. So. You know, if I hadn't had that in order, um, I don't know. I really, really would have been up. Uh, can I say Shit's Creek? Well, I just said it, and <laughs> and it was dub- it was doubly hard for me because it was a different country. So I had to uh, know what I could do there, which was different than what I could do in in the in the United States. So you know, it was it was challenging. I bet, I bet. Well, and you know, one of the things when, you know, I think you touched on a really, you know, important point is that, you know, these are topics nobody wants to talk about. Death, dying, hospice, end of life, um, you know, power of attorney, and, and um, I forget what I signed for my kids so that, that you know, my ex-husband doesn't pull the plug prematurely. <laughs> I signed something. Well, knowing your like, ex-husband, all you have to do is have the hiccups and he'd say, okay, let's let, let her go, let her go. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, he'd be in there kicking the plug like there's no tomorrow. Like <laughs> there goes her like I don't know oxygen source. But um, you know, we laugh about these things because they're part of life. You yes. know, and when we empower ourselves and we're not afraid. You know, I've been coming out of my shell these last couple years after you know a very very difficult marriage. You know, and experiencing domestic violence. So it's been a long process for me, and I realized with all this, Linda, that we have to. The most important questions we have to ask is what we're most afraid of, because when we do that, we get empowered with information, and it's not scary anymore. You know, when my mom was diagnosed and she was sick, I was so frightened. I didn't know what was going to happen to her. I didn't know, you know, this word hospice and palliative care. It was all frightening, because all I could think of is they're like, they're sticking her with pins and, you know, doing yeah. all this research on her. You know, that's that's the perception I had. Well, the experience I had was a completely different thing, and that's why I'm so excited to do the show today because not only do we get more powerful when we acquire knowledge, but so much of our fear is a fear of the unknown. Of course. And, and so the ultimate I, fear for all of us is the fear of dying because it, it, that, is the, that is the grand unknown. Nobody can tell you what happens after, right. you know, and it could be – the greatest thing, like when Steve Jobs was, was you know, the la- his last words were, oh, wow. I hope it is an oh, wow. And and, and the books that I've read, it is an oh, wow. But for, for a no wow, it's like the scariest oh, wow in the world because, you know, you don't come back from that. <laughs> At least in the same form as, as how, uh, that, that you left in, so... Well, and I think even just, you know, one of the things, you know, and we'll get into this later in the show was the, that hospice had shared with me was that there is a dying process, especially for terminally ill patients. Yeah, and yeah. 
you know, I was so afraid because, you know, some of these cancers are so painful, and my mom was in so much pain at different times in her, what we'll call her dying process from the time she was diagnosed. I mean, we're all dying, but in her active dying process. And then um, I was so afraid she'd be in so much pain. And then when I found out that, you know, they put a morphine pump and, you know, that could give her relief and they mm-hmm. give her anti-hallucinogens that can help with the anxiety yeah. and the fear, you know, it didn't help a whole lot, but it it helped some in that, like, I don't know, dying is a very out-of-control feeling. So when you have information and you have a procedure and there's a dying process, I mean, we it just, it made it something I could at least wrap my head around, which is something I couldn't do prior. Okay. Well, before Rose comes on, let's talk about living. So tell, um, yes. did you have a good week? Um, I did. I had a very interesting week. Um, it looks like I'm going to be going back to court uh, with the ex-husband's girlfriend now. So I'm thinking, you know, I used to be like Sandra Beck, uh, Lifetime movie. Now I'm Sandra Beck, L.A. Law. That's the way I'm looking at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, but, but yes. Yeah, you're, you're your own defender all the time. It's, it's, it's crazy. Well, well yeah. I had a... You, well, we had a, I had a good week because we had our Fleet Week makeover last week, and it was a huge success. So I was just before the show, I was just looking at the pictures that uh, the photographer sent me, and I think she really captured the moment. Um, it was wonderful. One of the one of the women, she, and and they caught it. Well, they caught it on a video because we actually we had local uh, TV coverage, and they they caught that tear. Uh, dropping from her eye onto her cheek, so it really, it really captured. And those were tears of joy. <laughs> you know, uh, it was, uh, it was wonderful. And we had about seventy guests that came, and uh, it was very well supported. And uh, these women were just, they were treated like queens, and they, you know, they were just eating it up. They just loved it. During the makeover, there was a special spread just for them and champagne, and they felt they felt um, like celebrities. You know, now, like, Linda, before we continue, tell our listeners, for those who are just joining the show today and aren't regular listeners, what, do you, what event are you talking about, and why is it so powerful for women? Well, this is this is my shining service um, of the events, uh, my beauty makeovers, which we do about six or seven a year, and we we do um, we make over in wonderful uh, high end salons, mostly here in New York City, um, of veteran veteran women and and um, and women that are still you know active duty, and we had three women uh, come up from Virginia who were in the Navy, and they were part of the event, and then we had three veterans that they were in from Long Island. So um, we, we, we just want to make them feel that, you know, that they're appreciated. We want to make them feel beautiful. We want to reconnect them with their femininity. Um, and we achieve all of those things, and it's just such a powerful event, not only for the women that are being made over, but for the for the wonderful people that are working on them, doing hair color and, and, and cuts and makeup and manicures, um, and the guests that come to talk to them and be part of the event. I, I mean, it's, it's just a very, very emotional, wonderful time because you know, these women are basically putting their life on the line for us, and nobody's saying thank you. Well, this is a very big, this is the beginning of our shining service. Thank you to them to, to show them uh, how beautiful they are, reconnect them with that. 
That's so important for us to reconnect from the inside out. Uh, Linda, uh, people can see these photos coming up on your website soon? Yeah, it's it's uh, shiningserviceworldwide.com. Uh, there is a makeover page where we have all our others listed, but uh, this will be up. Uh, hopefully, you know, by, by the weekend or early next week, I can say it again on the show. Um, and we had a video um, company there, and they they shot all of this, so they're making a very special video for us. So um, it will really, it, it really, it, it just watching it, my words can't express it, but I'm sure in the video, because all the women were interviewed, you'll be able to really just see the, ju- the juice of it. And it's just a, a lovely, lovely time, you know, it's just, it's, I, you know, it's hard to describe. You have to be there to feel it. Okay, well, check it out. Check out the videos and pictures on ShiningServiceWorldwide.com. Uh, we're going to come back from the break with Rose Collins from Buffalo Hospice. Yes, that's Buffalo, New York, with all the snow. And come back, you're going to want to learn about the best and dying that we have available to We've us. We've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. Lori Hurley, the social networking navigator, helps you overcome your overwhelm online and make social media easy. Every week, she shares the latest and greatest about social networking and welcomes industry experts and end users of different social media platforms to share their experiences moving their business forward online. Whether you are a Facebook fanatic or a lover of LinkedIn, Lori has you covered on all angles of social media, including Twitter, YouTube, blogging, Google Plus, and more. Lori shares her knowledge and love of educating others on all things social media with relevant material, engaging guests, and hot tips and techniques to help you soar down the social media highway. Join her every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time for the Social Networking News Hour here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Are you ready to start rocking that woohoo that only you do? Because Lisa Stedman is on a mission. She will dare you, challenge you, enlighten you, provoke and empower you to bring out that inner woohoo. Lisa is an internationally acclaimed best-selling author. She is a breakup expert, a brand consultant, CEO of Woohoo Inc. and the Woohoo Radio Network. She will show you how to take your boohoo and turn it into woohoo. Get rebellious and get real. Get your dreams off the back burner. Get inspired and motivated to take action. Start rocking that woohoo that only you do in love, life, and business. She is going to be here for you every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this 
is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and we are Powered Up Talk Radio, and we are bringing you the information to the questions nobody wants to talk about. And today we're going to talk about death, the dying process. It's going to be very uplifting, very powerful, uh, because we believe here at Powered Up Talk Radio uh, that information brings power, knowledge brings power. We're going to ask the questions nobody wants to ask. We're going to learn about hospice. And I didn't know anything about hospice before my mom got sick. I didn't know anything about palliative care. Uh, poor Linda. Linda's from Toronto. <laughs> we didn't have that. Right, Linda, you didn't have that experience. You had a tough experience being in New York and having your mom in Toronto. Yeah, that was very. You know, we we were keeping the airlines in business. Let me tell you, it was it was it was a challenge um, for like three years. My dad died three years before my my mom, so. Um, so we, we, you know, I had to figure out what to do, and um, she really did not want to leave her home. And she was, she was perfectly okay. I mean, at that time she was 95. Um, so I, but I knew that she needed around the clock someone there to be with her. So you know, that's what we did. And she, you know, and she, she made it through for the next three and a half years like that. So. Wow, wow. Well, you know what, Linda? I'm so excited that we can bring this information uh, to the airwaves and to our Powered Up listeners. We have Rose Collins uh, from Buffalo Hospice, and she has extensive experience uh, with hospice, you know, over 20 years. It's really amazing. Uh, Rose, uh, thank you for joining us on the air today. Do we have Rose? I think so. There we go. There There we we go. go. My pleasure. You guys definitely have an interesting show. <laughs> we do. We do. We like to ask the questions nobody wants to ask. Uh, Rose, I'd like you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us a little bit about what you do and, uh, you know, what, what, what is hospice? Well, sure. I think a lot of people have heard of the word hospice, and they automatically think death. I'm at death's door. And actually, um, yes, that is true for some people, but not for all. Um, We care for over 700 patients a day here in Erie County, um, New York, um, and we care for them in homes, hospitals, nursing homes. And basically, hospice is a way of caring for people with serious illness so that they can live life fully, maintain their dignity, and keep control over their lives. Um, Hospice really dates back to the um, medieval times. Hospices were considered inns of rest, which lodged and cherished um, people on their journey. And today's hospice program is, 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 is like that. I mean, we really do um, enhance a person's life uh, by providing a whole, array, a whole array of services to enable them to have quality time in the time that remains. Um, in order to enter a hospice program, a, a physician would certify that a patient has less than six months to live. However, we've had progr- uh, people in our program as long as three years. At the end of the six months, if the physician again certifies that this patient is indeed declining, they can choose to remain in a hospice program. So that's now, and it, I'm just excuse me. So that is either in a hospice facility, which is like a hospital, um, or you would come to a person's home every day. That's correct. Most of our care, over 85% of hospice care in the United States is provided in the home. That's mandated by Medicare, um, that we have to provide um, our hospice services in a patient's home. Now, a patient's home could also be a home-like setting, like an assisted living residence or a nursing home. Um, people frequently learn about hospice care when they're in the hospital because they came in for a treatment perhaps that did not work, and suddenly they find that, you know, the doctor wants to 
aggressively treat their symptoms. Maybe cure is no longer possible or no longer desired. I think a lot of families, um, and, and Sandra, I'm sure, could speak to this, are on an emotional roller coaster. Oh, sure. You know, they've tried all different kinds of chemo or radiation treatments or an experimental drug, and the patient just is getting worse. Their, their symptoms are so distressing, the patient just, you know, wants to leave the hospital. And I think this is where... My grandparents were at the time, which was a few years ago, and my grandmother said, take me home, take me home. And we did, and we did under hospice care, and she lived another three and a half weeks, having quality of life, able to communicate with us, but have all of those distressing symptoms managed. So would a hospice um, caretaker be there 24-7? No. Hospice care is there to supplement the care that is provided by the family. Now, we we have cared for live-alone patients before, but we actually have them, um, you know, agree that if they cannot do their activities of daily living, um, maybe that's, you know, um, bathing themselves, dressing themselves, maybe, um, you know, being able to at least feed themselves, um, that we do let them know, you know, we're not going to be able to be with you 24 hours a day. We are on call 24 hours a day where we can send a nurse out to check on you. But we, we, you know, we aren't staffed. Hospices are not staffed like that. Some hospices do what's called continuous care. If there was a crisis at the home, <clears throat> some hospices can provide like, you know, up to tw- 24 to 48 hours of, of continuous care. I but see. ordinarily, you know, most hospice programs, there's over 4,000 hospice programs in the United States. They are able to provide medical care, emotional and spiritual support, providing an array of service to keep that patient at home having quality of life without, you know, having to ship, be shipped off to a hospital every time they spike a temperature or their condition, their, their symptom changes. Right. But so if a, if, if a person uh, you know, is elderly or really ill and can't take care of themselves, this is a supplemental because they'd have to have somebody with them at all times. So that they would have to have a, a caregiver there and then you would do that over and above. That that's correct. That's correct. Got yeah. It. And uh, you know, and some families just aren't able to provide that primary care person in the home, and some families are able to either hire that that person, that personal care aide, if you want to call that. That's what we yeah. had to do for my grandparents. Is we actually had to hire someone that was with them during the night if a family member couldn't be there. Yeah. Um, but at least we knew someone was with them. But you have your well, own facility. Absolutely. If they were, if they, if they, if they couldn't be in the home, then they would actually go to a hospice facility where they would be, where they would get twenty four seven. Or That's am I correct? Okay. That's correct. We have we have um, hospice contracts with a variety of facilities, and so do most hospices in the, in the United States. They have contracts with area nursing homes, assisted living places that can take on a hospice eligible person and care for them with in conjunction with the hospice team going into that setting to provide care. And that and. And you're saying Medicare recognizes this? Oh, yes. In fact, okay. uh, a, a lot of people um, are not aware that it is a Medicare benefit. I mean, we as Americans are entitled to our hospice Medicare benefit. And what we're finding is, um, believe it or not, and this is something that no one wants to hear about, but if there is increased competition for patients. And so what we're finding and other hospices are finding across the country is that um, other healthcare settings, like long-term care settings, hospitals are hanging on to their patients and not making that referral to hospice until it's extremely late. Wow. So we're we're getting patients that have either days left to live or they're dying before admission. 
which is really sad. Very sad. The Medicare benefit covers up to six months of care, and it, and at the end of the six months, if the patient still is indeed declining, they can still access that hospice Medicare benefit. Now, what does that include? That includes 24-hour on-call nurse, 24-hour on-call social worker, 24-hour on-call chaplain. It includes a hospice physician that can uh, be a consultant to the patient's doctor or in some cases the, the patient's doctor says, you know what, um, I can't make that home visit. Will you make that for me? And there are hospices that are able to do that. Um, and that's important that you have a, a you know a physician that's trained in palliative medicine. That is a specialty. Yes, it is. And so yeah, and that means what palliative care is 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 aggressively managing symptoms to enable a person to have quality life even while they're pursuing cure. Right, and pain. And, controlling and pain, yeah. Controlling that pain, controlling distressing symptoms like nausea, constipation, anything that causes that patient distress can be managed with palliative care. Well, you know, Sandra, I don't know if you knew this, but I certainly didn't know about the Medicare benefit, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners didn't, but so this is really valuable information. I, did, I had no idea. You know, I just know that when I was there, you know, the people would come and, you know, they were so nice. And I was thinking, God, who pays for this? Like, you know, my parents had long-term care insurance, you know, which is a policy that you can buy uh, for when you're older to help offset some of these expenses. But I had no idea that it was part of our, our Medicare benefits. And I think that alone, I mean, because I would have been hesitant to call thinking, oh, this is going to be so much money. I mean, I know that sounds terrible because someone's, you know, dying and ill, but you know, the reality of death is, you know, death's expensive. And, and you know, to know that this was part of our benefits is really, really wonderful. Um, Rose, I want to ask you really quick, before we go to commercial break, we have about two minutes. Um, are hospices nonprofits? Are they part of a visiting nurse association? Are they independently owned? How does the business side work? All of the above. Um, there are hospices that are for-profit hospices. There are hospices that are not-for-profit. There's hospices that are independent, some that are actually owned by a home health system like a VNA, a visiting nursing association, or are owned by a hospital. Um, the, the good thing is when you are called a hospice program, you have to be licensed to be a hospice program, and Medicare really um, looks at that very closely. For example, in New York State, you have to have a certificate of need process in order to to open a hospice program. You have to prove that the hospice that's currently in that geographic area is not meeting the need. And so I think that's helpful to to know that you know, not anyone can just open a hospice. Now, I will tell you, though, that is not the case in some other states. Um, there are, for example, oh gosh, numerous hospices in, um, in Boston area or in, um, you know, Florida. Tons of hospices, and how do you know which one you should go with? And that's what I think is worth investigating, um, you know. And I, I, I frankly tell people, um, you know, Sandra and Linda, I, pr- I frankly tell them, you know, look for the hospice program that has a whole array of services. You know, they're able to service a patient in a nursing home or a hospital, or they have an inpatient uh, unit, or they have a long-term care setting where they have a contract. That's important. 
That's really important. I need to take us to commercial break. Rose, you're such a great guest. I can't wait to have you come back after the break because Linda and I are going to fire a bunch more questions at you, uh, one being uh, how to choose a hospice, what we need to know as caregivers. I think that's worth coming back for after the break. My name is Sandra Beck. I'm here with Linda Franklin. We are Powered Up Talk Radio. For those of you that missed the first half of today's show, I welcome you to go to our website, powereduptalkradio.com. You can go to our host station, toginet.com. You can also go to iTunes, type in Powered Up Talk Radio, and you can pick up this show along with many other shows that have to deal with money, sex, beauty, love, health, and now we add death to the list. We're going to make it fun. We're going to keep it light. Come back after the break. We've got lots more Powered Up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. This is for all you girls about 42. Tossing pennies into the fountain of youth. Tune in to the Travel Chick Show with Bonnie Kitohata. Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Bonnie will share with you an hour of travel ideas, experiences, adventures, and tips from her guests. Topics range from local day trips to international excursions, from organized professional vacations to spur-of-the-moment getaways. For fun or business, groups or solo, by bus, car, plane, train, boat, bike, hike, or horse, you'll also hear about travel-related subjects like cultures, travel photography, keepsakes, and more. Whether you love to travel yourself or you enjoy seeing the world vicariously through others, join us and enjoy travel stories from around the U.S. and around the world. For more information on The Travel Chick Show, check out Bonnie's website, thetravelchick.com. Then join us for the show, The Travel Chick Show, live Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time with your host, Bonnie Kitohara, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Evermore, people have the means to live. But no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Viktor Frankl. The inspiration for the movie, Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection. With host Mary Similuka and frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things, and are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. This is for all you girls about 42. Hi, ladies. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and our guest today is Rose Collins, and she is from Buffalo Hospice, and she is answering so many questions about hospice, um, and you brought up such a great point before we went to the break, Rose, how to choose a hospice. Um, that's actually a, a personal choice. You get to choose or apply, or does the hospital recommend you? Give us the lowdown on choosing a hospice. 
Well, I think in, in most areas, for example, in New York State, it is, you know, based on the geographic area you live in, that's the hospice program that you would go to. But in other states, when there's many hospices um, in, in a geographic area, you want to look for the hospice program that offers a wide array of services for your loved one. Because if you're caring for your loved one at home and suddenly, you know, there's a very distressing symptom that, um, you know, perhaps the, 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 the healthcare professionals can't seem to get under control, you want to make sure that that hospice program has its own inpatient unit or contracts with an inpatient facility in a hospital where hospice uh, care is offered um, because that's really important that you're going to be able to get that symptom under control without shipping your loved ones through an ER. Um, you know, you want to avoid as much less stress as possible. So I think that's real important. Look for a hospice that definitely has an inpatient um, facility or contracts with an inpatient unit in a hospital. Um, that, and they also have long-term care contracts with, with several area nursing homes. That shows that that hospice program is a little bit bigger. I, I, you know, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit biased because I work for a fairly large hospice program or one of the 20 largest in the country. And so because of that largeness, we're, we're in a lot of different settings. We, we're able to offer care in about 40 area nursing homes and assisted living centers and the inpatient unit and such, but I would definitely look for some that, that offer different services. You know, they, do they offer massage therapy? Do they offer um, music therapy is incredibly important for patients. Um, I don't know if your mom had that, Sandra, but uh, I can't tell you the beautiful stories that I hear all the time from patients and families who experienced a music therapist coming and playing for their loved one, and all of a sudden that loved one who may have been unresponsive suddenly is more alert or is singing along a tune that they haven't heard in years. Um, and it's, it brings a lot of warmth and joy to the family. It is. Music, I think, is so powerful. I know my mom was treated at Roswell Cancer Institute, and they would have the piano player, and, you know, and my mom just loved to listen to that. My father, too. I mean, the thing about hospice, Rose, is it is hospice affects the whole family. You know, with my mom, you know, I got all this information from hospice sent to me via email, so I understood the dying process. I knew what to expect, so I wasn't so frightened. And, you know, a chaplain came and talked to my mom. They gave my dad all sorts of information. You know, hospice really, even though the benefits is for the, you know, the sick person or the dying person, the benefits help the whole family. And that, to me, cannot be denied. Absolutely. We have a saying that we don't just admit the patient, we admit the family, too. You're, you're right on. It, it really affects every family member. I have, I have a question. Now, you just said, it, you know, uh, about admitting a patient. So what has to be in order um, so that when, uh, when someone is bringing their, their loved one to a, a facility, um, they're not going to say, well, you know, this, this is not, you know, you haven't uh, dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's, so... Um, you have to have a health care proxy if the person can't make the decision for themselves. I mean, all of these things that we have to think of ahead of time so when we get to those final uh, moments or, or months that there's, there's not a, a problem. Well, Linda, I think, you know, you're definitely bringing up a good point, but I, I don't want to make it seem like it's hard to, to find out about getting your loved one in hospice. All it is is a simple phone call. Anyone can refer a patient to hospice. It does not have to be the doctor, although the hospice program does require, you know, us to call the doctor. In other words, the hospice program will call the doctor ourselves. Mm -hmm. If the family, uh, you know, allows us to, we'll do that for the family and say, Dr. So-and-so, we've received a call from, you know, the Beck family 
family and they are interested in learning more about hospice, may we go in and do an assessment? And the doctor usually will say, yes, go right ahead. And, and frankly, you're bringing up another subject, Linda, is sometimes, often actually, I should say often, it's very hard for the physician to admit that that patient needs hospice care. You know why? Because they've built up a relationship with that patient over months or years, and they simply don't want to go to the family and say, by the way, Mr. or Mrs. Smith, you know, I no longer really can, can, can curatively help you. Um, so I need, you know, you really need to go to a hospice program. That's not an easy conversation for anyone to have. And no. so we actually do a lot of teaching with medical students and residents and fellows to teach them how do you deliver bad news? How do you talk about this? Because it's not easy. And, um, you know, hospices are expert at that. And we often actually will go into a hospital you know, a doctor or a social worker or whatever will say to us, you know, really, we think this patient's very appropriate for hospice. Would you go talk to them? And that's what we do all the day, all, right. you know, every day. Um, I, I just want to talk for a moment about that health care proxy because I know in, when, you know, my mom was in Toronto, so it was a Canadian hospital but well, at the very end. But, I mean, it had a, they had me faxing back and forth even though um, they, they had a copy or lost it. So is it the same here? That, yeah, you know, you know yes, it, actually, it's real important. And, you know, I, and I also do a lot of advanced care planning work. And one of the biggest things I can tell everyone out there is if you are age 18 and over, you need a health care proxy. My son, who's 22, has his own health care proxy. This is the reason. If he gets in an accident on the way home and can't speak for himself, they are going to look to find out what do we want done. And, you know, I can't stress this enough how important it is to have these discussions before a crisis occurs. One of the best websites out there, and, and I talk about it all the time when I'm giving talks, is GoWish.org. That's G O. W-I-S-H.org, GoWish.org, fabulous website, teaching people about what's important to them if they could not speak for themselves. And right. it actually is a little value system. What's the top ten things you would rank as the most important thing if you couldn't speak for yourself? You know, is it is it to know... You know, to be free from pain, to be free from anxiety. Is it not being short of breath? Is it to be kept clean, to have human touch? You know, all these yeah. wonderful things. And there's no right or wrong answers. But I think it's so helpful for people to know, hey, you know, I've talked to my loved one about what's important. So they know. They know if something happens. Yes. We all remember the Karen Ann Quinlans, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you know and, and is there a DNR and, and how much suffering um, you know, so, so if you can talk about these things ahead of time, even though it's a really difficult talk, you know that at the end they, they really want to be let go, not, not kept around and poked and prodded. Well, and I think, you know, people, everyone's individual, you know, and I, and I, I think that's one thing that I've really learned is, you know, some people want to pursue aggressive treatment up until the very last breath. And you know what? That's okay. That's their choice. But if they choose not to go that way, you know, there are places like hospice programs that can help them. You know, I mean, we, we aggressively manage symptoms, enabling someone to have quality time, you know, dignified time at home um, or in a, in a home-like setting. But for someone, Linda, that really, you know, they want everything done. Give me it all. I, I, I don't fault them one bit. They're, they're choosing a different course than maybe I would choose, but it's their choice. 
Right. Well, you know, I think age has something to do with it. Um, but I mean, we had we just lost a friend recently um, who had cystic fibrosis, and he managed to hang on for 42 years. Now that was, you know, that's quite unusual with cystic. Uh, he was in and out of the hospitals all the time, uh, and he always managed to. I mean, he had two double lung transplants. He had a kidney transplant. He had throat cancer, and, and I mean, but at the end, his body just couldn't take any more. Right. Um, and I know that I, I mean, he was, you know, at the very end, it's really hard because they're they're still breathing with help, but they're really, it, it seems like they really aren't there anymore. So, and I know that um, the parents wanted to just, you know, cut off the machine, but the wife was, was holding back because she didn't want, as long as he was there in the bed, he was still alive. This, I mean, it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching, you know, it really is. It is, and one of the things, you know, I had this discussion with uh, my spouse because I wanted to know, hey, you know, here I am going out teaching about advanced care planning, and hey, you don't have one. <laughs> we don't have, you know, I think it's important that if I'm going out and teaching about this, I better have one, and you better have one. So we had to have these long discussions, and 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 what you're talking about is, what brings meaning to life? Okay, so one of my um, one of my clear things that I told him is, if I cannot feel your kiss on my cheek and I don't know who you are and I don't know who my kids are, allow natural death. Let me go because I don't know who you are and I don't know my kids and I can't feel you. I can't, you know, hold hold your hand or whatever. Allow natural death, meaning don't kill me, but allow. <laughs> Death can yes. naturally occur yes. because yes. hospice does not hasten death, nor do we postpone death. We all know death is going to come, um, but I know a, a really wonderful hospice advocate, uh, a, a board-certified physician who is in New York State, and she's fabulous, and she actually has that written right in her healthcare proxy, Linda, is, you know, if I have less than a 5% 5% chance of surviving and having the quality of life I had before I walked in this door allow natural death. Yeah. Well, I think that that's really important because you want to follow the wishes of the patient. And, 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 and it's really hard because even though they may want natural death, the thought of losing them is so horrendous. But, I mean, but you really have to go with their wishes because that's what they had stated when they were in, in solid mind and body. Correct. Well, and I'm going to buzz right now, ladies, and I'm going to say it's the most loving thing you can do for your family members and your friends is to make your wishes clear. You know, my mom knew she wanted to be cremated. My mom knew she wanted to be interred, you know, in an urn in Canandaigua. She knew what she wanted. My father's been very clear about, you know, what he wants. Do they want a funeral? No funeral. Do they want end-of-life care? All those things. That means there's so much less arguing. There's so many fewer decisions to be made on the behalf of your, your children or your best friend or your spouse. Um, I'm going to take us to commercial break now. My name is Sandra Beck. I'm the host of Powered Up Talk Radio along with Linda Franklin. Our guest today is Rose Collins. She's from Buffalo Hospice. Um, I would encourage all of you today to uh, find out what is available in your area with your loved ones. Know that Medicare uh, covers this. You have these benefits. We're going to bring Rose back. We're going to keep her on the line here today, and we're going to talk more about things that families can do to help themselves with the assistance of a hospice program and hospice care providers when we come back from the break. So Rose and Linda, hang in with us. We're going to continue talking about hospice and our options. Just through the night at a time of my life, ain't worried about 
we've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. and ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on Toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature. And happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod, Friday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Sandra Beck and I'm Linda Franklin and we've got a flurry of questions coming in not only from our Togi chat my phone lit up my Facebook lit up so is my email rose you're opening up so many questions really great questions um, I'm going to go right to you because we have um, we have a question coming in that is uh, relating to the age of people in hospice. I thought hospice was just for old people who are dying. And um, one of our listeners uh, wrote to me about her son who died from DIPG at age three and a teacher who was still teaching when she had a little boy with leukemia and his hospice team came into your class to talk about this little boy's changes. Now, how does hospice differ when you have a three-year-old versus an 80-year-old? Well, you know, um, children are just um, uh, sweet angels, and especially those that are dealing with um, a a disease that is not getting better. So we have a whole team of people. We call it our essential care program, 
and it was one of the first that was set up in the country. But basically, it's a whole interdisciplinary team, just like hospice has an interdisciplinary team with a physician, a nurse, a social worker, a chaplain, a trained volunteer, a bereavement counselor. Well, in addition to all those people, for the children's program, we also have called a wonderful professional called a child life therapist. And they go in and they do play therapy with kids and their siblings so that the brother or sister of that sick child understands it's not their fault that their brother or sister has to go into the hospital or has to have this, um, you know, painful treatment done. Um, We do a lot of play therapy with them. We actually are teaching some other hospice programs on how to set up a child program because it is different. Um, it does cost more to care for a child than it does an adult. So, um, you know, and there's, there are a lot of needs that the parents have as well. It's, it's, it's heart-wrenching, frankly, um, to, to pull your child out of school and have them in the hospital for three months, uh, and, and not to mention the medical bills. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of needs that have to be met when a child is very sick and, and eventually may need a hospice program. When someone comes into hospice, whether it be a child or an adult, do, do, um, does the patient um, and family stick with the same team that's assigned to their loved one, or does it keep changing like in hospitals, like the nurse is there one minute and then she's, you know, then she's not there, so someone else comes in and fills in, and it gets kind of confusing because if you like somebody and then they're not there and... Right. You know, and, and Linda, I think, you know, healthcare nowadays is so complicated. I, I will tell you, we try and keep a, a consistent pres- presence of the same team members going in and out. I mean, obviously, there's vacations, there's people who get sick, and then you've got to have people that fill in. But I, I can tell you one thing, you know, I, my, my daughter had open heart surgery in a hospital, and I, in three days, counted 17 different nurses in three days. Uh, and and I, I was like, this is crazy. And, and I'll tell you, one thing I will always make sure that if I have a loved one in a hospital I have another family member whether that's me or someone else with them 24 hours a day because there's just too much stuff that goes on that that really concerns me you know being in healthcare over 20 years I I do get concerned and I hear about stuff so you know I, I think if we can do that for our loved ones that's important make sure you have an advocate someone that knows that patient's medical condition what drugs they 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 need to take or that they have taken so that they're informed. Um, but back to the children, well, you know. Wait, let me jump in really quick because I want to add one more thing before we go back to the children. I can tell you from being a patient in a hospital and having a birth, um, you know, and my ex-husband, who was my husband at the time, left me there. There was nobody there. I couldn't reach the bell. I couldn't talk. I couldn't get to anyone. I couldn't, you know, I had just had a had a premature baby. It was awful. It was awful to be left alone. So I'm going to buzz right in there and say, yes, absolutely, your patient needs somebody there, you know, 24-7 if it can be, just because you can't help yourself. Right, right, right. Um and so, and Linda, did I answer your question though about about the about the children? Um, I I don't know. I think that we were talking. <clears throat> I interjected, and and we were talking about keeping the same team intact for the patient. Right. So now we can talk about. The, I I think for children too, it's probably even more important that they trust and they like the people that are trying to help them. 
Yeah, you know, one of our nurses um, who, who cares for children, um, she, she cared for children at, at a hospice program in L.A., and, and now she's back here in Buffalo, and she said, you know, when you when you care for a child that is dealing with end of life, she goes, it totally changes your whole life. She said, when I'm at the grocery store and I'm waiting in line, she goes, I don't care if someone cuts in front of me. I just don't. It, it's like things that, that bother us, those little things, they fall away. Yeah. They just fall away. And, and I think if I can't stress something more important, you know, to people, it's treasure the time you have. Treasure the time you have with your loved one. You know, tr- talk to them. Make sure you tell them you love them, you know, as often as you can because you just don't know. Oh, that's so true. Uh, the thing is, you know, we, we, when we have someone that's ill and lose somebody, we're very conscious of that. And then life takes over again and we go back to you know, living day by day and not treasuring the moment. Right. I I mean, I just saw something that a a palliative care nurse wrote. One of the top five things that people who are dying wish they hadn't done, and that was work too much. Yeah. You know, they wish they hadn't worked so much. And so I think balance is so important, especially us women. We have to have balance in our life. You know, we're running those kids around. We've got them involved in, in umpteen number of activities. And and are we stressing ourselves out? Yes. Are we stressing the kid out? Most probably, too. You know, and I'm not trying to make people feel guilty out there, but I can't tell you the number of women that I see that are just running their kids everywhere without maybe thinking, hey, you know what, what's the most important thing right here that my child enjoys doing? You know, well, let's do that for this next six months instead of doing three to five activities over the next six months. Um, but that's my little two cents. Sorry, I had to just take oh, it. Oh, I love take it that. There. I'm a big proponent of that because I watch my, you know, the people in my neighborhood run themselves silly. And, you know, since my divorce rose and I'm a single mom of two kids, I can't afford to run them everywhere. And this funny thing that happened, you know, I get rid of my big fancy cars. I, you know, downsize my lifestyle. I'm driving a little old minivan right now. But we have to focus on doing the things we love and we end up going hiking. We end up going, you know, to the, you know, to the, the local fair because it's free. We go to the concerts in the park and dance. That was not part of my life prior to my divorce. You know, living in Beverly Hills, everything was, you know, how much can we get? We have a nanny. We've got this to go. we got to go mommy and me. We've got to do all this stuff and go, 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 do, do, do. I have had more fun, you know, walking with my kids, throwing rocks in a creek. And I know that sounds totally hokey and maybe it's from Buffalo and we, you know, don't have all the fancy things that Beverly Hills has. But... We have more fun connecting, and that's exactly what you're talking about, is that we don't connect when we take our kids to karate, then to soccer, then to, you know, piano lessons, and then you just don't have that connection. And it's the same as women. Linda and I went through this last year when I was going so crazy, I couldn't connect with Linda on a regular basis. And I'm like, here is this wonderful woman, and, you know, Robin, who's on here, too, on the chat, you know, and I don't have time to connect with the people I love. Well, that's a problem. And I think you're right on with this, whether you're a parent or a friend. Right. And working with people, you know, all the time who have serious illness, that to me, it's just it's just like everything. All the little things fall away. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you've told that person that you love them and you're spending time with them. Presence is everything. It is everything. I I have a question, Rose. When when it's getting to be toward the end, and we said death is a process, and there definitely is a, that last dying process, are, are would you say the majority of people that you've seen and worked with ready? They they said I'm ready. They're not at the end. They're not afraid, or they are afraid. 
you know. You know, I think, and this this comes right from um, Dr. Don Schumacher, who's head of the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. He basically says we we die the way we live. If we lived an angry life, we die angry. Mm-hmm. If we live um, a life that is 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 loving and caring and nurturing, we will most likely have a very loving peaceful death, um, you know, and, and I think that's what Sandra experienced with her mom because I talked to her offline about it, and, and she just, with her and her sister Susan, just were overwhelmed with how peaceful it was for their yeah. mom when she passed. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, you know, that that is also a very, very good lesson for people, and I and I, I believe in that wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, if you have an angry life, you're going to have an angry death, so <laughs> sit and look at, you know, what what you're doing every day and how you feel and start to connect with yourself to ch- change that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, I'm so glad, though, that we had these conversations because a lot of people just don't want to talk about it. So I'm really glad you guys called and that we could have this, um, you know, that hopefully it was helpful for some people out there. Well, and it gets easier. You know, I will tell you, you know, for somebody like me who's, you know, you know, blabbing all over the radio, but in my personal life, kind of very private, the first time my mom talked to me about actually dying, you know, and that she wasn't afraid and she was ready to go and, you know, it was okay. And then I had talked to a grief counselor who told me, you need to give your mom permission to go to say, it's okay, mom, you can go now. I'm I'm okay. I can take care of myself. I'll take care of dad. He's fine. You know, and all those conversations we had, I would have never in a million years known what to say. But because I started asking, because I started researching, and I had those conversations, now I can talk to my dad about his, you know, desires when he's, when it's his time, as we put it, and not get all creeped out, not get all weirded out or freaked out. It's just a natural part of life, so it's a natural conversation. And the more you talk about it, the easier it gets. I'll admit the first time when my mom talked to me about her dying, I was just I just, I don't know, I was all weirded out. It was just not something I was prepared for. But because we discussed it as a family and it became conversation, and I think it helped when we put my mom's chemo wig on my newborn baby. (laughs) But, you know, it became just part of what families do. This is what happens when somebody dies, and this is how we get through it together. And you can't do that if you don't communicate. You know, that's the way society has programmed us. We celebrate life, but we don't celebrate death. Right. And, you know, and people don't realize that actually it's been proven that if you have hospice care, you know, you have a heart condition and and you're in hospice, you have a lung condition and you're in hospice, you actually live longer under hospice care than you do if you did not get it. Now, that's a that's unusual to hear that, but that is true. And it was research that was done by the um, National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization in the Journal of Pain and Symptom Management. So hospice patients are actually living longer than those who don't receive hospice. Rose, I hate to cut you off. I could talk to you all day, just like Linda and Robin on my other show. We always have such great conversations. We're going to bring you back later in the year and talk some more about what people can do to prepare for this life event that's going to hit us all at one time or another. Uh, My name is Sandra Beck. I'm here with Linda Franklin. This is Powered Up Talk Radio. Our guest has been Rose Collins of Buffalo Hospice. You guys get out there, have the tough conversations with all that information. We are Gotta be powerful women. We'll see you next week. We're so glad you joined us for Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. 
Sandra Beck, Los Angeles-based single mother and technology company owner, knows what it's like to be fit, funny, and fantastic in your 40s. Linda Franklin, a New Yorker with a successful marriage and 